All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. My name is Matt Hines. I am your host. We are here live Thursdays at 1130 Pacific, 2.30 Eastern. Thank you so much for joining us today. We've been dark the last couple of weeks as I joined my family down in our annual trick to uh, San Diego, but back and back in the saddle and excited to be here. If you are catching us live in the middle of your workday, thank you so much for making us part of your day. You have an opportunity to be part of the show. If you have a comment, if you have a question, if you have a rebuttal and it's worded in a family-friendly way, we will put that into the show. We can put up your question. We can call out your question to Dan and just address it in general. So thanks so much for joining us live. If you're watching or listening on demand, very much appreciate you being part of this. Every episode of Sales Pipeline Radio, past, present, and future, always available at salespipelineradio.com. Very excited to have with us today, live from sweltering Austin, Texas, the founder of Product Product Tranquility, Dan Bukowski. Dan, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Matt. I'm excited for our conversation. And thank you to anyone who's joining us live in the middle of the workday. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, look, and I don't have an MBA. I didn't go to business school, didn't really study business, but I, I'm familiar with these four Ps, right? That we talk about in marketing forever. And I feel like in B2B, we have become fixated with promotion as, as really the primary B2B marketing function. Your business really focuses primarily on pricing. And I feel like it is a lost art oftentimes amongst marketers and something that we don't really take seriously and don't think strategically enough about. So maybe just start by introducing people to you, your background, and then we'll get into it. Absolutely. Well, I I completely agree. I think it is a, well, maybe not lost art. I think it's a building art, you know, in much the way that product management has built into itself into an actual legitimate practice over time. I think pricing is is on that same journey. And I see the building blocks every day, getting us closer and closer to that. But, you know, I've spent my entire 20 year career in software. I started more on the, what we call the value creation side than the value capture side at first as an engineer and engineering management. Ultimately, I became much more fascinated by how our products created customer value and turned into dollars and cents for the business than the individual bits I was moving around in the software. And this interest led me to pursue my MBA. I didn't realize it then. I was quite lucky with pursuing my MBA. Kellogg was uh, widely recognized for its excellence in marketing. I didn't find out till very recently. Very few MBA programs have courses in pricing. So I got my theoretical grounding in pricing there and got thrown into the pricing world immediately in my internship where company, very successful Silicon Valley startup I was working for, they had a question on CEO's desk of should they do a freemium approach and asked me to help them figure it out. And, TLDR. We might get into it later, but definitely do not recommend freemium for any of our listeners. So we'll put a pin in that. Maybe we'll come back to it later. But you know, over time, spent more time on the value creation side and product management. And you're right. Like there were product marketing at those companies was ostensibly responsible for pricing, but they would come to me and be like, well, I've got to do this pricing thing. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like you you may, you've got some background in this, right? Could you help between the theoretical grounding at business school, my MBA internship, and then the other product marketers being asked to do this analysis. I don't really know what I should be doing here. I got my my, uh, feet wet on, on that side of things. So now I, that's all I do is help founders and CEOs define pricing packaging for new and existing businesses, helping them make sustainable pricing practices that help them be profitable and serve as many customers as possible. So immediately a LinkedIn profile best practice. If you look him up on LinkedIn, just Balkowski, just his last name, you're going to see his headline under his name says, I dispel B2B SaaS pricing illusions, which begs the question, what are some illusions of B2B SaaS pricing? I mean, we could talk about best practices. Let's talk about dumpster fires first. Like what are some of the things that people get wrong in a well-meaning way or otherwise? Well, I think the first one is when it comes to SaaS pricing, most executives think that what you charge determines your success. In fact, who and how you charge 
determines your success. So often these conversations with people here who do pricing, they want to talk about, hey, okay, should our price be $19 a user or $99 a user? Should our price it ends in fives and nines? That's all very interesting. But if I were you, I'd spend most of my time on what the price tag goes on and who I'm selling it to and much less time on what number actually goes on the particular price tag. So that'd be one. I can list off some more if you want. Let's get, let's get at least one more. Absolutely. Yeah. So I would think the other thing is you don't really have a choice of whether you will have a pricing conversation with your customer. The only decision you get to make is when you will have that conversation. And let's, for the love of God, hope it's not your poor sales rep when you just launched the product and he's having initial conversations trying to sell the product you just invested millions, if not tens of millions of dollars into. That's the first pricing conversation you're having. So I highly recommend as much as you could front load the pricing conversation, I would put the, the, the cart all the way you know, behind the horse. And let's start with pricing as a way to help determine what we should build in the first place. Let's not wait until we've and somehow at some point pricing and packaging got slotted into the marketing launch plan sequence of like, okay, well, we're 30 days out from launch. So now we got to figure out what our pricing and packaging looks like. Absolutely not. It should have been there from uh, day one because eventually you're going to have to have these conversations with your customers. So why not get it out of the way up front? Really understand what your market is willing to pay for before you invest millions, if not tens of millions of dollars. Well, and pricing has to have context, right? Like whether I charge $10,000 or $10 million, those are very big differences in numbers, but like the context of like, what am I getting? What's the value? What does that mean? Help, help me understand how to think about the number, but then the key pillars of the context behind justifying the, the right number. Yeah. So I think there's a couple of different dimensions there. The first is that intelligent price management follows from intelligent value management. I have an overall model I use for SaaS pricing. It's called the services model, stands for the four components of the model, segments, value, competition, and strategy. We'll touch on those first two elements because I think they're incredibly relevant to what you're talking about. So the first is that we really, in any pricing exercise, and you've got an audience of marketers, so I'm sure they'll appreciate this. We really need to start with customer segment. Customer segment is critical because customers in different contexts will value your product differently. They will also have different competitive alternatives available to them. They will rank order different value drivers of your product. So under, And they will have different constraints that dictate what is what is and what's not feasible, what's causing them friction in their current environment. So and we have this all the time, right? If I am on a drive across country, I stop at a gas station, I buy a bottle of water, that bottle of water is going to have a distinctly different value to me than if I've been walking through the Sahara Desert for the last uh, two weeks and <laughs> someone tries to sell me a bottle of water, that, that water will have a distinctly different uh, value and, and price I'm willing to pay depending upon that context. You, you brought up earlier this idea of presenting price and doing it earlier. And I think if you talk to a lot of salespeople, that is a very stressful conversation. I think there's a lot of fear about bringing up pricing in a sales conversation. You're throwing out a ton of just truth bombs around thinking about the value side before the pricing side. And honestly, in the sales process, if you can identify the value, if you can identify quantity and get quality, identify the value, the impact that's going to have and the importance that has to your prospect, it puts the value in, in context and puts the price in context. Why do you think so many salespeople have a fear of bringing up pricing and how do you help to mitigate that? Because they're operating without any sort of guidance from on high, right? So when I was talking about 
having pricing as early as possible. I was not even talking about the sales conversation. I was saying move that up. The product management team, the product marketing team, the executive team that is thinking about developing a net new product needs to be thinking about their pricing and packaging from day one. And we should not be leaving it to the end salesperson. Now, as we get into nuance here, right, there is a difference between what you might call product versus services pricing and services pricing. Every offer, if you're doing consulting is customized, right? And you have a value discovery conversation at an individual level with a, with a customer, right? Because you're, you're building a, a customized offering for them. Going back to your point though, these salespeople, they're not having a good pricing time with pricing because they don't have strong pillars to stand on, right? We can't just do value-based pricing, the pricing team or whoever goes off into a, a closet somewhere and does some ROI calculations and then springs it on the rest of the org and says, all right, here you go, sales team, go sell it thing at this price because they're going to be ill-equipped, right? Because you have to do have value-based selling, value-based customer success, value-based messaging, right? So unless it's a true organizational mandate held on high that we're going to support everything we do with a value-based mindset. Like they're going to have sales teams out there on their own, right? And then what what tool do they have? If they haven't been given the support that they need, the enablement, the training, the foundational pillars of a strategic a price list, a, a good overall discounting strategy that's, that's actually enforced, what tool is left to them? Is to leave price to the last minute and then discount if pressed. So, so I don't yeah. blame them. Talking today on Sales Pipeline Radio with Dan Balkowski. He's the founder of Pricing Tranquility. If you haven't already, pricingtranquility.com. Uh, don't miss it. Lots of great content. We're going to way run out of time. We're going to have to bring you back, talk about value pricing, steps to calculating a SaaS economic value. There's so many great topics we can cover here. But some, you mentioned something earlier. I thought I heard you say this, is that you are anti-freemium. Is that right? I am. That is correct. All right. So freemium is a very popular um, strategy or tactic um, in a lot of SaaS companies. A lot of product-led growth folks like live on it. Um, I've heard pros and cons on both sides of this. I'd love to hear your take. Why are you anti-freemium? Yeah. So uh, first of all, keep in mind, I deal with only B2B SaaS at this point. So one misconception or misconstrual around pricing is people try to adopt things that may work in a B2C context into a B2B context, and they fail dramatically, right? Mm -hmm. So this not only applies to freemium, but people think about AB testing pricing, and that's an absolute nightmare. Never do that in B2B. You're going to have a bad time, I promise you. But you asked about freemium specifically. So I think that's probably the first misconception is people are like, oh, I saw you know this consumer company do it. I saw this you know, Candy Crush app that I have on my phone. They do freemium. So I'm going to use it for my enterprise workflow software. No, absolutely not. The better answer, number one, anyone says freemium. Almost universally, the better answer is free trial. I'm absolutely a huge fan of free trial, and, and I think free trials make a lot of sense. Free trials and, and freemium generally work under the idea that of what economists call software, they would classify it as an experience good. So there's search goods, experience goods, and credence goods. A search good would be like you're uh, buying a can of Campbell's tomato soup so I could search for it online. I know what I'm going to get, right? If I've had that before versus experience good, right? You might think like getting a haircut, right? Like, I don't know until I'm done with that. I can't really judge the value of it. With software, our experience and our perceived value changes as we use the software. And so a free trial really helps that. And I know you've got a lot of really smart, uh, talented marketing folks that listen to this show. Those folks 
can do all of the web design, copywriting, messaging work, white papers, webinars, but until there's something primal that hits our lizard brain, when we see our own data in a piece of software that really changed our perceived value of it, and a free trial accomplishes that. But a freemium, uh, it, it just doesn't work for a whole lot of reasons. I know we're running out of time, so I, I'm happy to elaborate them. Number one is I think it creates is a giant mirage. So first of all, what I see happen is that the people that end up on the free side are fundamentally different than your paying users. I've seen this in Extremis with some clients where if you go on like Trust Radius or G2 or any of those review sites, you'll actually see a bunch of reviews that don't make any sense. It's because the people like for a B2B SaaS company, it's because the reviews that they see on those sites are from are from consumers. They're from like families who are using mm -hmm. it for some home use case. But you know, they outnumber the business use case 10 to 1. Those people are never going to buy in the model that you want, and they're polluting your go-to-market messaging. So, and then also you're filtering all of that user data into the product management organization. Sometimes they're getting feedback from multiple different channels. They, they're not always checking who's a, who's a free uh, user, who's a paid customer when they're getting feedback and soliciting it. And all of a sudden you've got a whole user segment that's not your real target market. And also, I think it's it's this mirage, right? Again, very talented marketers, I'm sure, who work every day to get customers. I think there's this tension of like, okay, 99% of our user base is on the free side. It's really hard to do SEO, to do paid search, to do social, to get new customers. If we just tried a little bit harder with our product, if we just did XYZ, <laughs> changed this onboarding flow, added this feature that the free <clears throat> users say they want, it's it's like I'll sell one toothbrush to every man in China kind of thing. If I could only convert 1% or 2% of those free users, but it's a mirage. And I think it just ends up wasting a bunch of time, energy, and resources in the organization that is better spent just building a product that real users who are your target customers will pay for. Fantastic soapbox on freemium. I love it. So many people just put in comments and I want to go back to something Jill said earlier. I think reinforces your point here, Dan, that pricing is part of the launch discussion when done well. It's too often part of the launch discussions, all right, versus sort of earlier in the conversation. And just because you discuss value and price up front doesn't mean you might change and pivot, but to make that a, a core component of the discussion versus an afterthought, I think is important here. In the last few minutes we have here, Dan Balkowski, thanks for joining us today on Sales Pipeline Radio. He's the founder of Product Tranquility, producttranquility.com. You brought up right before we went on the air, this concept of pricing fairness. And fairness, we, we could spend a whole nother hour just talking about just what fairness means relative to price, but maybe unpack like why this has become kind of controversial of late and what are your thoughts on it? We talk a lot about price differentiation. And so people are like, well, no, everyone should pay a fair same price. The thing is, is that your definition of fairness really is a lot more influenced by tradition than you realize. So one example would be, I pay one price when I get on a bus, but a senior citizen pays another price. And maybe in the US that made sense at one point, but if you look at the demographic information now, pretty much 98% of the wealth is owned by people over 50 years old. So why are they getting a discount to ride the bus uh, when our poor millennial uh, friends are not necessarily doing that, right? The thing is, is because that's been a tradition. It's uh, We've always had senior citizen discounts, and so we continue to. If I go to Europe, I, they put bread on the table and I eat it, I'm to get charged for that bread. But in the US, if they put bread on the table and I eat it, I'm not because we have tradition that the bread is free. So if I get charged in Europe, an American visiting over there for summer, I'm going to be upset. This is unfair. I didn't order the bread. You put it on the table. Yes, but you ate it. And that's social tradition. So I think one of the things that's really come up over the last couple of weeks, and we don't have time to un unroll the whole scenario, but anyone who's been following the saga with Reddit, 
has noticed a major fairness problem with the reaction. They have they rolled out pricing changes for their Reddit's API and end up having a revolt on their hands from all of the moderators who moderate are free users of Reddit that take their free time to help Reddit moderate their discussion forums and basically ended up having a full-blown revolt on their hands. So one of the things we go through in terms of fairness is first we judge the outcome. All right, here's this price. Is this do I judge this as personally fair? If the answer is no, then I go to this other section of social fairness, right? So is there a precedent for it? And what was the process? So I think this is really where Reddit fell down is one of the aspects we look for when we're judging social fairness is voice and a choice. If you give your customers a ability to give a, give their voice, give their opinion about an ch upcoming change, mm -hmm. then they're much more likely to accept it, even if the end result ends up not being perceived as fair. So, mm -hmm. so we go through this, this two-step process of, is it personally fair to me? Okay. If not, I go to, is it socially fair? And then I start looking at the process. I think this is a big reason why democracy works, not to get into politics, but you know, you, we go vote. Our team didn't win this time, but we say, okay, well, I guess the other team won, you know, four years later, but I had a voice in it. And so we don't end up having riots and, you know, we have peaceful transfer power usually. So I think the same thing happens in fairness. So I think, you know, if Reddit maybe had helped bring along their community a little bit more, they could have avoided this absolute revolt on their pricing changes. So much to unpack there. Yeah, we are unfortunately out of time. This has been awesome, Dan. Thank you so much for your time, your generosity. ProductTranquility.com. Check that out. Where else, Dan, can people learn more about you? I'm happy to connect with folks on LinkedIn. Just send me a connection request. Let me know you heard me on Sales Pipeline Radio so I can separate it from the rest of the LinkedIn spam. But uh, thank you so much, Matt. And if I had to rename my company again, I would make it easier to pronounce. So I apologize for that. I, I think it's fantastic. If I could go back in time, I wouldn't have named my company Heinz Marketing. I would have come up with something far more interesting. I think product tranquility for a pricing conversation is fantastic. So congratulations on your success. And thanks again so much for being here today. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for listening and watching, listening and commenting as always. We'll see you here next week, 1130 Pacific, 230 Eastern. My name is Matt Hines. See you next week, Sales Pipeline Radio. Recently, very few MBA programs have courses of pricing. I got my theoretical grounding in pricing there and got thrown in on the, into the pricing world immediately in my internship where a company, very successful Silicon Valley startup I was working for, they had a question on CEO's desk of should they do a freemium approach and asked me to help them figure it out. And TLDR, we might get into it later, but definitely do not recommend freemium for any of our listeners. So we'll put a pin in that. Maybe we'll come back to it later. But you know, over time, spent more time on the value creation side and product management. And you're right, like there were product marketing at those companies was ostensibly responsible for pricing, but they would come to me and be like, well, I, I've got to do this pricing thing. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like you, you may, you got some background in this, right? Could you help? And so that kind of was my, you know, between, you know, the theoretical grounding at business school, my MBA internship, and then, you know, the other product marketers being like, I, I'm asked to do this analysis. I don't really know what I should be doing here. I got my, my uh, feet wet on, on that side of things. So now I, you know, that's all I do is help founders and CEOs define pricing packaging for new and existing businesses, helping them, you know, make sustainable pricing practices that help them be profitable and serve as many customers as possible. So immediately a LinkedIn profile best practice. If you look him up on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, just Balkowski, just his last name, you're going to see his headline under his name says, I dispel B2B SaaS pricing illusions, which begs the question, what are some illusions of B2B SaaS pricing? I mean, we could talk about best practices. Let's talk about dumpster fires first. Like what are some of the things that people get wrong in a well-meaning way or otherwise? 
Yeah, what, I think the first one is when it comes to SaaS pricing, most executives think that what you charge determines your success. In fact, who and how you charge determines your success. So often, you know, these conversations with people here who do pricing, you know, they want to talk about, hey, okay, should our price be $19 a user or $99 a user? Should our price it ends in fives and nines? That's all very interesting. But if I were you, I'd spend most of my time on what the price tag goes on and who I'm selling it to and much less time on what number actually goes on the particular price tag. So that'd be one. And I could, I could list off some more if you want. Let's get, let's get at least one more. Absolutely. Yeah. So I would think the other thing is you don't really have a choice of whether you will have a pricing conversation with your customer. The only decision you get to make is when you will have that conversation. And let's, for the love of God, hope it's not your poor sales rep when you just launched the product and he's having initial conversations trying to sell the product you just invested millions, if not tens of millions of dollars into. That's the first pricing conversation you're having. So I highly recommend as much as you could front load the pricing conversation, I, I think pricing conversations, you know, I would put the, the, the cart all the way you know, you know, behind the horse. And let's start with pricing as a way to help determine what we should build in the first place. Let's not wait until we've and somehow at some point pricing and packaging got slotted into the marketing launch plan sequence of like, okay, well, we're 30 days out from, from launch. So now we got to figure out what our pricing and packaging looks like. Absolutely not. It should have been there from uh, day one because eventually you're going to have to have these conversations with your customers. So why not get it out of the way up front? Really understand what your market is willing to pay for before you invest millions, if not tens of millions of dollars. Well, and pricing has to have context, right? Like whether I charge $10,000 or $10 million, you know, like those are very big differences in numbers, but like the context of like, what am I getting? What's the value? What does that mean for you? There's, help, help me understand sort of how to think about the number, but then the sort of the key pillars of the context behind justifying the, the right number. Yeah. So I think there's a couple of different dimensions there. So I think the, the first is that intelligent price management follows from intelligent value management. So really, you know, we may talk a bit about, I have an overall sort of model I use for SaaS pricing. It's called the services model, stands for the four components of the model, segments, value, competition, and strategy. And so we'll talk about, we'll touch on those first two elements. I think they're re incredibly relevant to what you're talking about. So the first is that we really, in any pricing exercise, and you've got an audience of marketers, so I'm sure they'll appreciate this. We really need to start with customer segment. Customer segment is critical because customers in different contexts will value your product differently. They will also have different competitive alternatives available to them. They will rank order different value drivers of your product. So and they will have different constraints that dictate what is what is and what's not feasible, what's causing them friction in their current environment. So and we have this all the time, right? If if I am just on a drive across country, I stop at a gas station, I buy a bottle of water. That bottle of water is going to have a distinctly different value to me than if I've been walking through the Sahara Desert for the last uh, two weeks and <laughs> someone tries to sell me a bottle of water. That, that water will have a distinctly different uh, value and, and price I'm willing to pay depending upon that context. So I think you, you brought up earlier this idea of sort of presenting price and doing it earlier. And I think if you talk to a lot of salespeople, that is a very stressful conversation. I think there's a lot of fear about bringing up pricing in a sales conversation. You're throwing out a ton of the sort of just truth bombs around sort of thinking about the value side before the pricing side. And honestly, in the sales process, if you can identify the value, if you can identify quantity and get quality, if identify 
the value, the impact that's going to have, and the importance that has to your prospect. It puts the value in, in, in context and puts the price in context. Why do you think so many salespeople have a fear of bringing up pricing and how do you help them mitigate that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that they're because they're operating off without any sort of guidance from on high, right? So, I, so when I was talking about having pricing as early as possible, I was not even talking about the sales conversation. I was saying, move that up. The product management team, the product marketing team, the executive team that is thinking about developing a net new product needs to be thinking about their pricing and packaging from day one. And you know, we should not be leaving it to the end salesperson. Now, there is a as we get into nuance here, right? There is a difference between what you might call you know, product versus services pricing. And services pricing, you know, every offer if you're doing consulting is customized, right? And you 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 have a value discovery conversation at an individual level with a with a customer, right? Because you're you're building a, a customized offering for for them. Going back to your point though, I think you know these salespeople, they're not having a good pricing time with pricing because they don't have strong pillars to stand on. Right. We mm -hmm. can't I often talk about value-based pricing. I think value-based pricing is, we may get into it a little bit more here in a bit, but you know, we can't just do value-based pricing, right? The, the pricing team or whoever goes off into a, a closet somewhere and does some ROI calculations and then springs it on the rest of the org and says, all right, here you go, sales team. Like, you know, go, go sell it thing at this price because they're going to be ill-equipped, right? Because they're, they're not going to be, you have to do have value-based selling, value-based customer success, value-based messaging, right? So unless it's a true organizational mandate held on high that, you know, we're going to support everything we do with a value-based mindset, like they're going to have sales teams out there on their own, right? And then what, what tool do they have, right? If they haven't been given the support that they need, the enablement, the training, the the foundational pillars of a strategic uh, price list, right? A, a good overall discounting strategy that's that's actually enforced. What is what tool is left to them, right? It's like is to is to you know leave price to the last minute and then discount if pressed, right? So so I don't yeah. blame them. Talking today on Sales Pipeline Radio with Dan Balkowski. He's the founder of Pricing Tranquility. If you haven't already, pricingtranquility.com. Uh, don't miss it. Lots of great content. We're going to way run out of time. We're going to have to bring you back, talk about value pricing and sort of you know, just sort of steps to sort of calculating a SaaS economic value. There's so many great topics we can cover here. But some, you mentioned something earlier. I thought I heard you say this, is that you are anti-freemium. Is that right? I am. That is correct. All right. So freemium is a very popular um, strategy or tactic um, in a lot of SaaS companies. A lot of product-led growth folks like live on it. Um, I've heard pros and cons sort of on, on both sides of this. I'd love to hear your take. Why are you anti-freemium? Yeah. So uh, first of all, keep in mind, I deal with much more, uh, I, I only pretty much B2B SaaS at this point. So I think one misconception or misconstrual around pricing is people try to adopt things that may work in a B2C context into a B2B context, and they fail dramatically, right? Mm -hmm. So this not only applies to freemium, but people think about AB testing pricing, and that's an absolute nightmare. Never do that in B2B. You're going to have a bad time, I promise you. But you asked about freemium specifically. So I think that's probably the first misconception is people are like, oh, I saw you know this consumer company do it. I saw this you know, Candy Crush app that I have on my phone. They do freemium. So I'm going to use it for my enterprise workflow software. Like, no, absolutely not. So look, the better answer, number one, 
anytime anyone says freemium, almost universally, the better answer is free trial. I'm absolutely a huge fan of free trial. And, and I think free trials make a lot of sense. Free trials and, and freemium generally work under the idea that of what economists call software, they would classify it as an experience good. So there's search goods, experience goods, and credence goods. A search good, it would be like you're uh, buying a can of Campbell's tomato soup. So I could search for it online. I know what I'm going to get, right? If I've had that before versus experience good, right? You might think like getting a haircut, right? Like, I don't know until I'm done with that. I can't really judge the value of it. With software, our experience and our perceived value changes as we use the software. And so a free trial really helps that. And I know you've got a lot of really smart, uh, talented marketing folks that listen to this show. Those folks can do all of the web design, copywriting, messaging work, white papers, webinars. But until there's something primal that hits our lizard brain, when we, we see our own data in a piece of software that really changed our perceived value of it, and a free trial accomplishes that. But a freemium, it, it just doesn't work for a whole lot of reasons. And I know we're running out of time, so I, I'm happy to elaborate them. I think, you know, number one is I think it creates is a giant mirage. So first of all, I see what I see happen is that the people that end up on the free side are fundamentally different than your paying users. I've seen this in Extremis with some clients where if you go on like Trust Radius or G2 or any of those review sites, you'll actually see a bunch of reviews that don't make any sense. It's because the people like for a B2B SaaS company, it's because they're the reviews that they see on those sites are from are from consumers. They're from like families who are using mm -hmm. it for some home use case, right? But you know, they outnumber the B business use case, you know, 10 to 1. And so now you've, you know, so first of all, those people are never going to buy in the model that you want and they're polluting your go-to-market messaging, these review sites, right? So, and then also you're filtering all of those, that user data into the product management organization, the product management organization, you know, sometimes they're getting feedback from multiple different channels. They, they're not always checking who's a, who's a free uh, user, who's a paid customer when they're getting feedback and soliciting it. And look, all of a sudden you've got a whole user segment that's not your real target market. And also I think it's, it's this barrage, right? Again, very talented marketers, I'm sure, who work every day to get customers. I think there's this tension of like, okay, 99% of our user base is on the free side. It's really hard to do SEO, to do paid search, to do social, to get new customers. If we just tried a little bit harder with our product, if we just did XYZ, <laughs> changed this onboarding flow, added this feature that the free <clears throat> users say they want, we could, like, look, if we convert, it's, it's like I'll sell one toothbrush to every man in China kind of thing. If I could only convert 1% or 2% of those free users, but it's a mirage. And I think it just ends up wasting a bunch of time, energy, and resources in the organization that is better spent just building a product that real users who are your target customers will pay for fantastic soapbox on freemium i love it we are running a little bit at a time i we i love thank you so much to jill michael preston so many people just have put in comments and i want to go back to something jill said earlier i think reinforces your point here dan that you know pricing is part of the launch discussion when done well versus sort of offering or sorry it's it's too often part of the launch discussions all right versus sort of earlier in the conversation and just because you discuss value and price up front doesn't mean you might change and pivot but to make that a, a core component of the discussion versus an afterthought, I think, is important here. In the last few minutes we have here, Dan Balkowski, thanks for joining us today on Sales Pipeline Radio. He's the founder of Product Tranquility, producttranquility.com. We will spell that for you and put a link in the, uh, in the show notes. You brought up right before we went on the air this concept of pricing fairness. And fairness, I mean, we, we could spend a whole nother hour just talking about just what fairness means relative to price, but maybe unpack like why this has become kind of controversial late and what are your thoughts on it? 
Yeah. So I think there's, it's interesting. We talk a lot about price differentiation. And so people are like, well, no, everyone should pay a fair same price. The thing is, is that your definition of fairness really is a lot more influenced by tradition than you realize, right? So one example would be, I pay one price when I get on a bus, but a senior citizen pays another price. And maybe, you know, in the US that made sense at one point, but if you look at the demographic information now, pretty much 98% of the wealth is owned by people over 50 years old. So why are they getting a discount to ride the bus uh, when when our poor millennial uh, friends are not necessarily doing that, right? The thing is, is because that's been a tradition. It's mm-hmm. We've always had senior citizen discounts. And so we continue to, you know, if I go to Europe, if I, they put bread on the table and I eat it, I'm going to get charged for that bread. But in the US, if they put bread on the table and I eat it, I'm not because we have tradition that the bread is free. So if I get charged in Europe, American visiting over there for summer, I'm going to be upset. This is unfair. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't order the bread. You put it on the table. Yes, but you ate it. And that's social tradition. So I think one of the things that's really come up over the last couple of weeks, and we don't have time to unroll the whole scenario, but anyone who's been following the saga with Reddit, has noticed a major fairness problem with the reaction. They have they rolled out pricing changes for their Reddit's API and end up having a revolt on their hands from all of the moderators who moderate are free users of Reddit that take their free time to help Reddit moderate their discussion forums and basically ended up having a full-blown revolt on their hands. So so one of the things we go through in terms of fairness is first we judge sort of the outcome. All right, here's this price. Is this, do I judge this as personally fair? If the answer is no, then I go to this other section of social fairness, right? So is there a precedent for it? And what was the process? So I think this is really where Reddit fell down is one of the aspects we look for when we're judging social fairness is voice and a choice. If you give your customers, right, a ability to give a, give their voice, give their opinion about an ch- upcoming change, Mm-hmm. then they're much more likely to accept it, even if the end result ends up not being perceived as fair. So, mm-hmm. so we go through this, this two-step process of, is it personally fair to me? Okay, if not, I go to, is it socially fair? And then I start looking at the process. And I think this is a big reason why democracy works, you know, not to get into politics, but you know, you, we go vote. Our team didn't win this time, but we say, okay, well, I guess the other team won, you know, four years later, but I had a voice in it. And so we don't end up having riots and, you know, we have peaceful transfer power. Usually that all goes, goes to saying. So I think the same thing happens in fairness. So I think, you know, if, if Reddit maybe had helped bring along their community a little bit more, they could have avoided this absolute revolt on their pricing changes. So much to unpack there. Yeah, we are unfortunately out of time. This has been awesome, Dan. Thank you so much for your time, your generosity. ProductTranquility.com. Check that out. Where else, Dan, can people learn more about you? I'm happy to connect with folks on LinkedIn. So yeah, just send me a connection request. Let me know you heard me on Sales Pipeline Radio so I can separate it from the rest of the LinkedIn spam. But uh, thank you so much, Matt. And if I had to rename my company again, I would make it easier to pronounce. So I apologize for that. It's, it's, no, it's, 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 I, I think it's fantastic. I think better. Look, if I could go back in time, I wouldn't have named my company Heinz Marketing. I would have come up with something far more interesting. But I think product tranquility for a pricing conversation is fantastic. So, congratulations on your success. And thanks again so much for being here today. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for listening and watching, listening and commenting. Thank you so much, as always. We'll see you here next week, 1130 Pacific, 230 Eastern. My name is Matt Heinz. See you next week. Sales Pipeline Radio. 